from KQED. And welcome back to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. In this segment, we're going to continue with our election coverage. We're going to hear from both sides of the debate over California's Proposition 20, which would roll back sentencing and parole changes approved by voters in 2014 and 2016. Joining us is Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent with KQED and co-host of KQED's Political Breakdown Show. Marisa, good morning. Morning. Well, tell us about Prop 20. Yeah. So, you know, we have seen over the past decade or a little more um, a real sea change in the way California has approached criminal justice, starting with uh, realignment, which was a bill that Jerry Brown put forward his first year in office um, right after the Supreme Court ruled that California had essentially uh, reached a point where it's uh, the crowding in prisons was resulting in cruel and unusual punishment for prisoners because of the lack of health care and, and services. And so um, the state was essentially ordered to reduce its population pretty significantly. Uh, realignment was the first crack at that. And then there was two ballot measures, one in 2014, um, one in 2016, which really went even further um, looking at uh, Prop 47, essentially moved a lot of lower level fel- uh, felonies, including drug possession into the misdemeanor category and actually allowed people to go back and uh, get that reduction sort of retroactively. So it really helped thousands and thousands of folks who had past convictions. Um, And it also, of course, reduced the number of people going to prisons and jails. Um, And uh, that one included lower level theft. So it actually raised the dollar threshold for how much folks would be charged if, uh, you know, if you stole up to $450 before in merchandise, you could get a, a felony charge. That raised it up to $900. And then 57 in 2016 was really Jerry Brown's baby. This was an attempt to really relax some of the sentencing laws that he helped put uh, into um, at least start the sort of trend towards back when he was governor 40 years ago. Um, this was a measure that essentially said that if folks weren't uh, convicted of one of a very small uh, you know, handful of very violent felonies like murder, that they would be able to at least appear before the parole board early and ask for their release, they wouldn't automatically get it. Um, and it and, and limited sort of sentencing um, more broadly. And, and, and really, um, between 47 and 57 are credited with reducing the prison population pretty significantly, thousands of inmates. And under 47, part of the um, direction from voters was that the money saved from that lack of incarceration, $120 million this year, uh, fiscal year alone, um, would actually go back into services for prisoners, services for victims, and crime prevention. Um, And so this ballot measure is really looking to tweak some of the things in all three of those, realignment, Prop 47, Prop 57. Um, This has been and put on the ballot by law enforcement and some folks who have always had a problem with these criminal justice reforms. Um, and they're hoping to see essentially, um, they might say otherwise, but you know, the, the result, the, what this would do was essentially say fewer people will be eligible for early parole um, and more people will be at least subject to, you know, under prosecutor discretion, felony charges instead of misdemeanor charges. And it could stand to, you know, start increasing again our prison and jail populations. It also requires DNA collection, I think, for certain misdemeanors. And we That's can right. To, yeah. Yeah. But, so that was one of, one of the effects of 47 was to say that you don't automatically have your um, your DNA collected and stored. And, um, you know, some folks within law enforcement think that that may have resulted in people, you know, who might have gotten caught up in, in, in you know, lower level crimes, but maybe committed worse crimes um, not having their DNA stored. And so th- that is a, a provision as well. Yeah. And so this is mainly being the result of 
shall we say, the architects behind this and those who are the proponents behind it, and we're talking about something that fiscal calculations uh, calculate at being costs of about hundreds of millions of dollars. We can go into that as well later, but it's mainly prosecutors and law enforcement and uh, originally, I guess, correction uh, <laughs> officers, right? Yeah, well, yes, um, and I would say not all not all folks in law enforcement. I would say it's more conservative prosecutors and DAs. Um, the other sort of big funders here have been grocery chains, um, stores that feel like they have negatively been impacted by these lowering of the theft thresholds. And, um, you know, it's, it's an, that's an interesting conversation. This is a bit of a grab bag of sorts, Michael, I'll say. There's a lot in here we could get into. But um, theft has gone up. Property crimes have gone up in California Um even though violent crime has not, although I've talked to National Retail Association folks and they say that that's actually a trend we've seen across the nation. Um, there has been concern. People are getting older. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's come as we have seen with the, you know, we don't really know how this year is going to play out. There have been an increase uh, in some violent crimes this year. But, you know, we've seen largely over the past decade or two a real drop in violent crimes and gang violence in, in the United States. Um, but there is a sense by some, um, you know, grocery chains, other retail stores that they have been um, kind of taken advantage of by serial theft rings who have noted this lower threshold. Um, I think that's an interesting point to debate because one thing you also hear from communities is that police officers are refusing to even cite misdemeanor theft. And that's, you know, a decision police are making. I mean, DAs tell me who are on, you know, who oppose this measure that they feel like they can build a case, a felony case, if if there are organized theft rings coming in, even if they're being smart about the amount they're stealing. Um, but certainly, we've seen Safeway and other chains give money. Costco gave money and then I think asked for it back. Um, and and I think you're referring to, yeah, the, the Correctional Officers Union had given some money and asked for it back last year. Um, and I don't think any of them got their money back from the Prop 20 campaign. Well, so the real question here, I think, if I can put it as such, is uh, how successful have these reforms been and uh, what have been actually the consequences, uh, including unintended consequences or failures of the reforms? I mean, I mean, this is where it gets really sticky, Michael, right? Like I said, that we have seen some uptick in property crimes. We've seen certainly pockets like San Francisco where we had, you know, rashes of auto burglaries for a while, which have dissipated slightly. Um, you know, the folks pushing this will say that they believe that the, these changes have resulted in an uptick in crime, that they believe that, that you know, folks who have been convicted of things that, that by any sort of normal stretch would, would you know, be seen as violent, say, um, child trafficking or rape of an unconscious person. Those are things that are not technically included on the violent crime list right now that they want to add back to it or add to it rather, um, which would actually potentially have even wider ranging um, implications because that violent crime list is a statute that's embedded in a lot of sentencing laws. But, you know, I think um, I, I think it's an open debate. And, and I think police and prosecutors largely have been very uh, crestfallen to see some of the sort of shifting public opinion around how we should approach criminal justice. Um, I think on the other side, they would say that what they have pushed has been, you know, science based, that, that locking people up for years and years without rehabilitation hasn't actually made uh, communities safer. Um, Californians for Safety and Justice, who I think we're going to hear from in a moment, um, you know, they wrote Prop 47. They have kind of positioned themselves as an alternative to the historic victims groups who were very much allied with law enforcement. And they say that they're representing folks who 
are, you know, the majority of crime victims who live in communities where maybe their families are both affected by crime in the sense that they've been accused of crimes and they've been uh, victims of them. And they feel like what what these ballot measures and other changes to policy have done have given them more tools to, to actually help support crime survivors. The other side, you know, says the opposite, that they've taken away um, essentially crime victims' rights. So... It's really hard because, you know, you can't you can't look at any of this in a vacuum like all of this is happening in real time. And it's very hard to sort of disentangle one single policy from broader crime rates, um, especially given how varied we approach criminal justice across our 58 counties. You know, you could be accused of the same crime in Kern County and San Francisco County and have a very different outcome in terms of how the D.A. approaches it and what your ultimate sentence um, or adjudication looks like. Well, we're getting the details on Prop 20, thanks to Marisa Lagos, uh, politics correspondent with KQED and co-host of the Political Breakdown Show on KQED. And we're going to hear from both pro and con. Let's uh, hear first from Ron Lawrence, who represents Yes on Prop 20 on the campaign. He's a police chief in Citrus Heights, California. He's past president of the California Police Chiefs Association. And Chief Lawrence, good to have you with us. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Well, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, you're going to say something before I was going to ask you a question. You, I heard an um. Yeah, I was just going to say uh, it was mentioned that this is a law enforcement uh, proposition. That's really not true because uh, this is a, a bipartisan Proposition 20. Uh, the Police Chiefs Association, we represent all 332 municipal police chiefs in California, and we've always been very open to uh, policing reform and making sure that we do the very best for California to keep our community safe. Uh, the reality is uh, many of the criminal justice reforms throughout the past nine years, prison realignment, for example, we supported prison realignment, uh, Proposition 47, Proposition 57. Although they have some really good intended things to make California safer, there's always some unintended consequences. And Proposition 20 very narrowly focuses on those very unintended consequences. And it's it's important to keep that in mind. It's actually supported by uh, Assemblyman Jim Cooper, who's a Democrat out of Sacramento, out of Elk Grove. Uh, the District Attorneys Association, the Grocers Association, Retailers Association, and even the California League of Cities, as well as the uh, Crime Victims United and several crime victim advocacy groups. So this is really a, uh, a bipartisan, holistic approach to trying to fix some of the unintended consequences in, in California's uh, criminal justice reforms. Well, let me ask you about some of the concerns that have been raised over uh, Proposition 20. The largest one in many respects is that going to have thefts over $250 to be changed to a felony. And the argument is for three-time offenders that this is going to disproportionately hurt poor people and people of color and particularly fall heavily on those communities. And your response to that? Well, my response to that is you, 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 you hit the, the crux of the issue, three-time offenders. So this is somebody who's not been arrested but convicted a third time. Uh, what's happened in California, unfortunately, we've been plagued with these organized retail theft rings that have gone up and down our state and literally go into our local communities, into our strip malls. They'll go into uh, the mom and pop shop or the Walmarts or the, or the Targets or you name your store, and they will steal stuff up to $950 and they, they leave uh, completely not being held accountable because it's a misdemeanor in California. Uh, even if they're caught, it's a citation at best because they're not going to jail. It's a misdemeanor. And because we cannot aggregate those crimes, that person, that same criminal can go 
from store to store to store all day long and continue to steal stuff uh, without being held in, accountable. And so what's happened is we've had these organized retail theft rings going up and down our interstates in California that have really been doing a number on our retailers, on our grocers. And uh, theft in California has cost us billions of dollars. It's billions of the B, which not only impacts our retailers and our grocers who often get frustrated and leave the state, but it also impacts us and you, the consumer, because you're paying more at the cash register as a result. So Proposition 20 is really narrowly focused on those uh, those bad actors. And here's here's the other crux of this. You'll hear the opposition say, well, this is going to throw more people in prison. That's wholly not true, because Proposition 20 specifically says that uh, those convicted of their third offense of theft, third offense, mind you, this isn't your first time 18, 19, 20-year-old kid that stole something. It's not even a second-time offender. It's a third-time offender. Uh, it's really dealing with those folks that are, are repeat offenders, and they have to do their time in county jail, not state prison. And what the intent is, is that that uh, threshold then on that third conviction lowers to $250, allows the district attorney to file it as a wobbler, which means case by case, they can choose to file it as a misdemeanor or a felony. And that's designed to really get some of these folks the help that they need. Some of them are suffering from drug addiction, and this will help the, the court system to prop up drug court and, and mandatory drug rehabilitation programs. And um, that's what Prop 20 is really focused on. And you say what, Chief, to the argument that California's crime rates are lowest in history now? Well, theft is up. Uh, shoplifting's up. Uh, since the passage of Proposition 47, theft has risen uh, 25%. So uh, that specific piece is, is really what Proposition 20 is aimed to fix. And the other piece of that is you, I can, you can go to any community in California and ask retailers if they've stopped calling the police because they're frustrated that nothing can be done. And they'll tell you, yes. So that's what criminologists will call the dark figure of crime. It's that amount of crime that goes unreported. Uh, so there's a lot of theft going on that really isn't even reported because a lot of our retailers and our grocers are just frustrated about about the system. Again, if you've just joined us, Ron Lawrence is with us. He represents Yes on Prop 20 on the campaign to at least see that Prop 20 is passed. And he's a police chief in Citrus Heights, California, past president of the California Police Chiefs Association. We are going to hear from the other side as well, Lenore Anderson, who is with the Californians for Safety and Justice. And if you would like to weigh in here, if you have a question or a comment, we certainly welcome your involvement in the program. You can join us at our toll-free number. The number to call is 866-733-6786. That number, 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org. Interested, Chief Lawrence, in finding out your thoughts about the fact that uh, the largest crime victims organizations in the state, uh, actually about 12 of them uh, got together, 13 of them, excuse me, got together and wrote letters to 13 of the largest cities' mayors in California and said that they are opposed to Proposition 20. And the, uh, one of the arguments they said was simply cost too much money. It's going to be like hundreds of millions of dollars. But they also said it does less in the long run for, well, justice. Well, let's talk about the violent crimes in California. There's 22 crimes that are not considered violent in California. Proposition 20 aims to fix that. And I, I would challenge you to look any victim in the eye of these crimes and ask them if they shouldn't be violent. Crimes such as human trafficking of a child is not violent in California. Abduction of a minor for prostitution is not considered violent in California. Rape by intoxication, rape of an unconscious person, a drive-by shooting, felony domestic violence. I mean, when you look at the list of crimes in California, and there's 22 of them here on this list, 
um, that are not considered violent and therefore those convicted of these heinous crimes are eligible for early release. The victims of those crimes, I'm not sure you can put a dollar amount on somebody that's been abducted as a minor for prostitution and pimped out. To me, that's absurd. I think that it, the, the dollar amount is not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about victims. We're talking about keeping Californians safe. We're talking about preventing uh, people from being victimized by some, some very bad actors. This doesn't, this doesn't deal with all the people in prison. This is a very narrowly focused uh, 22 crime categories of violent criminals. Things like false imprisonment or taking a hostage when avoiding arrest or using them as a shield. Assault with a caustic chemical. Somebody could throw acid on you, for example, be convicted of that crime, and it's not considered violent, and therefore they're eligible for early release. Uh, I, it, this really is about keeping victims safe and preventing victimization in California. And that's why the Police Chiefs Association, the District Attorneys Association, and Crime Victims United, as well as the League of California Cities, is supportive of Proposition 20. Well, one of those who doesn't support Proposition 20 and who's adamantly opposed to it is former Governor Jerry Brown has put up a million dollars uh, to defeat it. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on one of the central arguments that he presents. In fact, our own Marisa Lagos did an exclusive interview with the former governor, and he said that this doesn't really give the incentive that's needed for prisoners uh, who are looking toward parole or thinking that they can better themselves and rehabilitate themselves. In fact, quite the contrary, because it makes them more likely to be locked up and ineligible for parole and really staves off their desire to possibly show incentive to rehabilitate? Well, the Police Chiefs Association firmly believes in uh, the ability for people to rehabilitate themselves. We, we are firm believers that the criminal justice system, that the, uh, uh, the uh, prison system is set up to, for success, that we, the hope is that people will get in there and get the help that they need, whether that's anger management or mental health uh, assistance or drug addiction or alcohol addiction assistance, and that they'll come out better people, that they'll come out and, and, and get the help that they need while they're in there and come out and be productive members of society. But the reality is this. There are some people that either don't get enough of that help or they're just not going to avail themselves to that help. And, and this narrow focus of these bad actors on these very violent crimes are the folks that we really need to focus on. This isn't talking about everybody in state prison, and we believe that there wholeheartedly are people that can be held accountable and, and be successful in prison, get, get educated, uh, perhaps get uh, some of the help that they need, and they should be eligible for early release. The specific violent crimes we're talking about probably don't fit into that category. All right, we are going to hear from the other side, and we're going to hear from you, our listeners. Again, if you'd like to join us, you can do so by giving us a call at 866-733-6786. And Chief Lawrence, thank you for joining us. Appreciate your being with us. Thank you very much. That's Ron Lawrence, who represents Yes on Prop 20, and he's police chief in Citrus Heights, California, past president of the California Police Chiefs Association. We will be hearing from Lenore Anderson, who leads the opposition of Prop 20 and is president of California's for Safety and Justice. And we do want to hear from you. So again, if you'd like to weigh in here, Join us at 866-733-6786 or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook or at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. As part of our election coverage, we're focusing on State Proposition 20. And uh, what questions do you have about Proposition 20? You can give us a call now and join us at our toll-free number, 866-733-6786. That number again for your calls, 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email us, forum at kqed.org. 
Marisa Lagos with us, and Marisa Lagos, again, is politics correspondent for KQED and co-hosts KQED's political breakdown show with Scott Schaefer. Uh, Marisa, let's talk about rehabilitation for a moment, because as I said, you interviewed Jerry Brown. He has very strong sentiments about this, uh, and his argument, uh, as I said, uh, seemed to be that it's going to really diminish the amount of incentive or the uh, passion for incentive that prisoners might have, and uh, that's not good. Marisa, are you with us? I am. Can you hear me? Oh, now I can. Okay, sorry, sorry about that. You've been muted for a second. <laughs> I think there's a couple things that the chief talked about that are worth digging into. And yeah, that's one of them. I mean, look, there's a few things here. One is just the straight money. I mean, like I said, Prop 47 did require some of these savings um, from you know, folks who aren't going to prison to be put back into rehabilitation. Um, Prop 57 arguably has further kind of lightened the the budget um, around the incarceration piece to put money into these programs. But I think what Brown is talking about is this idea of incentives you mentioned, that essentially under 57, it opened up the opportunity for parole, not automatic parole. And, and, and I think it's important to be clear, the parole board is made up of law enforcement officials. They are looking at somebody's case on a case-by-case -case basis. They're not just looking at one crime. Um, usually somebody commit, you know, convicted from, from the district attorneys I've talked to who oppose this. They say usually if somebody has been convicted of, say, child trafficking, there's probably a couple other felonies there too, um, and likely one of them is violent. But even if there isn't, it's not as if the parole board is automatically letting people go. What 57 did was essentially say you may participate in programs because Honestly, if you don't have a parole uh, hearing set, sometimes it's hard to even get into rehabilitative programs in the in the prisons. Um, and that if you do a good job, if 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 by all accounts you have bettered yourself, then we will consider you for parole. And so I think that opponents of Prop 20 are concerned that if an inmate is told, "Hey, we thought you might get a parole date next year, but actually it's in five years," and no, you can't take those college classes because we need to use that space for someone who has an earlier parole date. Um, you know what Brown argues is that that results in a culture of violence and gangs in the prisons. It actually is more dangerous for law enforcement because of those situations. Um, and so he really feels like this is an attempt. I mean, he said this, and you know, I think this is a pretty strong statement from a former governor. But he said, he thinks that either some of the folks pushing this just don't believe in re rehabilitation, or that they're essentially part of an industrial complex that you know, whose jobs are dependent on locking more people up. And I, and I and that's a controversial thing to say, but it is important to note that historically, a lot of our tough on crime laws from three strikes on were largely funded by the prison uh, officers union, for example, um, pushed by crime groups that the prison officers union funded. And so it's not completely crazy to say that we have at least parts of law enforcement culture that have really pushed for more incarceration historically. And I think, um, you know, who I, 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 I do want to say that, yes, Jim Cooper, a Democratic assemblyman, wrote this. Um, he's a former police officer. I wouldn't call this a very bipartisan uh, effort. This is a pretty kind of breaking down along pretty typical party lines. Law enforcement Republicans on one side, um, the governor, current governor, former governor, the Democratic Party, and many others within that community on the other side. Well, Jim Cooper is there, though. Uh, he's on <laughs> he's on the ballot, uh, along with Devin Nunes and Vince Fong and <laughs> yeah. many other Republicans. Um, I, I want to... Uh, well, Cooper's the Democrat, we should say, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and let's take a call from Frank, and then we'll hear from uh, Lenore Anderson. We'll hear from more of you who have questions for Marisa. But go ahead, Frank. You're on the air with us. 
Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, I just wanted to comment on um, the, the increase in theft, and, and I, thanks for covering this, because I think in San Francisco it's out of control. We have, on a regular basis, groups of people coming into our stores and stealing them, and nothing is being done. Prop 47, um, and by the way, I'm a Democrat, a very liberal Democrat. I come from a city, Detroit, that saw this kind of thing happen and created what is called a food desert. And I think, and my biggest fear is that's going to happen here, because mm -hmm. there's no accountability. Prop 47, which I supported, and in implementation is an absolute disaster for the citizens of this city and the state. And I think that this will help address that. Um, I'm not, I'm a little concerned. I do recognize there are some concerns with every law as with 47 that, um, it can be abused, but you know, three opportunities of, of crimes, I think is enough. The city's had enough. I've been a victim of a house break in mm -hmm. car theft and assault, and none of them have been prosecuted because they're considered misdemeanors. Well, Frank, I hear, your, I, hear your I hear your frustrations, and yeah. I'm sorry that you've been through all that, and I, I thank you for the call. On, on that note from Frank, uh, and that uh, obviously con great concern that he has, I want to bring Lenore Anderson into this discussion. She's leading the opposition to Prop 20. She's president of Californians for Safety and Justice. And Lenore Anderson, good to have you with us. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I think the place I'd like to begin with you is to get your response to not only some of the things that Chief uh, Lawrence uh, put out here, but that is put out by the opposition, uh, excuse me, by uh, those who are supporting Prop 20. They kind of go back to bait and switch, I guess, is a way to describe it. The voters on 57 were not told about classification, about what is nonviolent. And you have all these crimes that are listed as nonviolent, uh, which do affect, you know, who gets parole and who's eligible for it. Drugging and raping someone, spousal abuse, uh, raping a disabled person, date rape, assault with a deadly weapon, sexual trafficking of a child. I mean, you know, horror type of things that people often associate with why they want someone incarcerated, why they want them to stay in jail. These are listed as nonviolent crimes, are they not? Well, uh, first, let me just uh, m make a couple of overview comments about, about Prop 20. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, Chief Lawrence and I agree on is that there is a long way to go in California to have an effective approach to public safety, and there's more work to be done to be sure. Prop 20, however, is the wrong direction for the state. Uh, California has uh, just in the last five years begun the process of recovering from uh, outrageous uh, over-incarceration, extreme sentencing, and drastic increases in prison spending. This is the state that increased prison spending by over 500% over a few decades. Turning that corner and starting to walk back from that extreme approach to uh, incarceration takes intense work and takes a lot of reform. We've seen that reform start to happen in this state. Now's the time to go even deeper in those reforms and improve our approach to public safety at the local level. Prop 20 will take us in the wrong direction, especially in the context of a global health pandemic and an economic crisis. This is really not the time to be increasing expenditures on imprisonment, either at the state or the local level. 
Um, when it no, comes and forgive me, as I said earlier, we're talking about expenditures of hundreds of millions of dollars, really. But uh, and, and I understand what you're saying. You don't want to see a return to the harsh sentencing and mass incarceration of the 1990s uh, or something that would be more correlative to what the Trump administration wants. But there, there is a, a serious question that I, I wanted Absolutely. your response to, and that has to do with what voters expected on Proposition 57 that would be classified as crimes as violent as opposed to nonviolent. Well, so there's there's two uh, there's two critical things uh, uh, to add to this discussion. Uh, first of all, all of the crimes that have been discussed are uh, atrocious. Uh, there's just no question about that. They're 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 felony crimes, and felony crimes in California uh, come with uh, very lengthy uh, sentences. Many thousands of people are convicted with very long sentences for these crimes and others every single year. The question is not whether or not we can send people to prison for these crimes for long periods of time. The real problem is what happens before people get out. The vast majority of people convicted for these crimes and many others are definitely getting out of prison. What has happened over the last 20 plus years has been a, a backwards a step away from preparing people from release, for release, away from rehabilitation. We've just started to turn that corner. And the question that we need to ask, do we want people who are getting out anyways to be prepared for reentry or not? If we are reducing the number of people in prison who are eligible for earned credit, we're actually harming public safety. We're not helping it. The key goal of our correction system needs to be preparing people for safe release, safe reentry into the community. And that is just now starting to be a focal point of the California correction system. So what we've got to do is actually stay the course with eligibility for things like earned credit for people who are going to be getting out anyway. And we need to significantly improve the rehabilitation programming in our prisons and jails and in our communities so that we can stop the cycle of crime. And yet, at the same time, you hear the argument from the chief uh, that we spoke with earlier that uh, crime in some areas has just been increasing, particularly retail type of crime and the sorts of crimes uh, that he cited. Uh, in other words, uh, that would be part of the unintended consequences that resulted from 57 in many people's minds. We heard a caller, for example, who felt very strongly about that, who identified himself as being quite progressive politically. Yes, and I, I appreciate the uh, the caller's comments, and and certainly uh, those comments demonstrate the need the need to do a lot more to improve our local practices. But I just want to make a couple of things clear. Um, there are many existing tools that are available to hold people accountable who are engaging in repeat crime. Whether those tools are used or not is a problem of local practice. Law enforcement under California state law can arrest and detain people for misdemeanors and courts can engage in a, in a, in a mix of, you know, treatment, community supervision, and also jail time. 
to hold people accountable for those crimes. There's also been recent legislation passed to strengthen organized retail theft law in California and improve law enforcement authority to arrest for repeat theft. And there's also been the uh, expansion of things like uh, organized retail uh, crime task forces where the state CHP is working with local jurisdictions to uh, quell those organized retail crime activities. When you have a big change like Prop 47, Prop 57 realignment, it requires adapting and updating your local practices. That needs to happen more aggressively in places where there are problems as it relates to repeat crime. Going backward, however, and going back to felony convictions for these crimes and incarceration for the time for these crimes only takes our state back to what we are just now recovering from. I just want to make an additional comment about what the realities are for people who receive felony convictions. Felony convictions create a lifetime of prohibitions from after you've served your time, after you've completed your sentence, from jobs to housing, eligibility for loans, participation in school activities for your children, a felony conviction is a very serious lifetime consequence. And that's why it's so critical that we right size what's considered a felony and what's considered not a felony. And we get better at holding people accountable within the confines of what's a fair long-term consequence. All right, Lenore Anderson, I appreciate again your being with us and thank you for uh, presenting your case. Lenore Anderson is again leading the opposition to Prop 20 and she's president of the Californians for Safety and Justice. I want to go to your calls now and any questions you might have. And let me just read some emails that are coming in before we go to your calls. And Marisa is still with us. Uh, this is Richard who writes, while I'm inclined to want tougher prosecutions and penalties for theft, I am completely against this kind of problem being solved at the ballot box. And a tweet from Dan who says, you'll never improve recidivism rates in the U.S. if you have a punitive culture. Norway treats people with dignity and tries to get them better, and they have a 20% recidivism rate. And here's finally Savannah who says, uh, shouldn't we address how our society creates conditions where this type of crime happens? Why not address the vast inequality and systemic oppression that leaves vulnerable populations with nowhere to go? Let me go to a caller, and that's Alan from Novato. Alan, you're on. Good morning. Yes, hi. Good morning. So I just want to say that I, too, am a Democrat and I'm fairly liberal, although I've had a conservative sort of background in my employment. I was a D.A. for about 30 years. I was a judicial officer. I've been a criminal defense attorney and I've taught criminal law at the police academy. And I want to say that the attempts to change the criminal justice system with things like Prop 47, people did not realize the outcome that was going to be. Criminals know that, in fact, that the penalties are going to be almost nothing if they even get prosecuted. And they know that there's a good chance that they won't get caught, and if they do get caught, it's going to be a misdemeanor. In places like San Francisco, very little is done because they're so busy with serious crime. So what happens is you go to the ballet, I go to the ballet, or I go to the symphony, I park my car, I walk down the street, I see 10 or 12 piles of broken glass. Why? Because everybody's breaking into the cars, and they know that nothing will happen to them. Prop 47 has been a disaster. Jerry Brown, who's against Prop 20, and I don't know enough about it because I haven't looked into it enough right now to know the answer on Prop 20. It, it sounds like it's, it's tempting to fix what Prop 47 did. It was a money grab. He was trying to swap the money from the state so the state budget would look good, 
And realignment was sending people to jails so that they would be housed locally. Alan, I'm going to have to jump in here because you have to also understand a little bit of the history here. I'm not trying to uh, weigh in one way or the other, but there, there was a Supreme Court ruling, as Marisa said earlier, that required realignment and required uh, really reducing the prison population. Um, but let me go back to you, Marisa, about a point. I want to get a few more callers in here, time permitting, uh, but I'm interested. I mentioned the DNA part of this uh, as well, and I think it's important because those who are in favor of Prop 20 argue that uh, the DNA for persons who are convicted of uh, of a theft or drug use or something will help solve other kinds of crimes. And that's uh, that's a kind of interesting argument that you don't hear very much as part of the defense of Prop 20. Yeah, I mean, I think that, look, if you if your job is to be a police detective and to solve, you know, horrific crimes, you want every tool in your toolbox. So I think it's understandable that there's some um, concern and consternation on the part of law enforcement that potentially, you know, they might have cited somebody for something. And if that, you know, 10 years ago had been a felony, they would have taken their DNA. And what if that connected to something? I mean, you know, but it, it is, I think, on the other hand, sort of, increasing the dragnet of, of of criminal justice and you know to the point of unintended consequences i think you can argue that this has been the case with criminal justice reforms whether they're harsher or more lenient right i mean we saw i don't think a lot of voters voting for three strikes thinking about the poly class killer in 1995 four or five was that um necessarily thought that we would be sending people to life for literally a bag, like a, a bag of marijuana. I mean, this is no longer the case, but that was what was happening. We were saying if you had had any violent, you know, a couple of strikes in your past and you got caught, you know, I did a story on a guy who had like a thimble full, not even of, of a tiny bit of cocaine and went, was sentenced to 25 years to life. The judge in that case later come, came forward to say, this is ridiculous. So I think that it's hard. Um, I agree that this, all would be better served um, being debated in the legislature where we have time for more nuance and people can sit down. But the truth is the legislature really didn't want to take this stuff up. Um, and, and I think have in part been forced to by the changing kind of tide of the electorate. And so we have seen more willingness in recent years by lawmakers. But, you know, part of this is also just our initiative system it's so hard to disentangle anything voters have passed before, like three strikes. You have to go back to them. The legislature is legally obligated to ask voters to do that job if they've already passed something. And we are going to have to end it there. Marisa, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks to Lenore Anderson. And thanks to Chief Ron Lawrence. And thanks to you, our listeners. And please take care of yourselves. Take care of those you care about. And take care of each other. And stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.